you would turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read verses 17 through 19 to open our message up this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, and if you have the means and are able, I would ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. If you're there, say amen. If you ain't there, say hold on. All right, here we go. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always. You can be seated. I'm going to stop right there because I don't have time to finish all of this up and I'm going to concentrate on those two words right there. We are finishing up our series on spiritual warfare this morning if the Lord wills and the last step, most people when they teach the spiritual warfare and they teach the armor of God, most people stop with the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Most teachers that you go look at, they stop as if that is the last weapon or piece of armor that we have, and it is far from it. You've got to go to at least, at least the next two words to be able to get the complete picture of the full armor of God. He says here that we are to be praying when? Always. And I'm going to talk to you this morning about prayer as a weapon in warfare. But before I go, I want to pick back up where I left off talking to these young men and women, but I'm talking to you too. Listen to me very carefully. From time to time, God will put a burden on my heart about the many that I've watched walk through these doors. The many that I have watched stand on this stage and sing. The many that I have watched pray and pray and pray at this altar. The many that I have watched uh, uh, get serious about their faith and ministry and evangelizing and then out of nowhere, they're back in the world. And from time to time, God just lays a heavy burden on me for these people and He begins to to cause me to think of, to, to be very watchful then at things that may not mean much to anybody else, but when I see them taking place in your lives, it makes me start getting on the ball and saying, I gotta keep my eyes open for my brothers and for my sisters. I gotta keep watch for them because I know how hard it is to live a Christian life in the midst of this world. If there is one thing I have seen since I have been ministering here at Wells Baptist Church, it is the fact that this invisible war that so many people in the world laugh at between good and evil and between flesh and spirit, this invisible war is real. I have seen it take place too many times and I have watched too many good men and women fall in battle. Now were they saved or not? I'm not the one to judge. I'm not the one to decide whether they ever knew the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior or not. The only thing I know is they are not enduring to the end. And don't get it twisted. The Bible says, He who endures to the end shall be saved. Not he who prays to Jesus and then goes back to the world. 
He who endures to the end shall be saved. That is the word of God. And whenever I see these, this take place in all these men and women, the reality of this invisible spiritual war is clearly seen in my eyes. So I ask myself a question. How can I get myself and how can I get the church awake to a wartime mentality? How can I get us all to open up our eyes to see that we are indeed at war? And you know what the prize of the war is? Your soul. The one who wins, wins your soul. Have you noticed since you've been in this world that everything grows old and dies? People, listen to me. There is another life coming. Don't let nobody fool you. We were not created from nothing. It is not possible for me to make you believe that nobody built this building. Your common sense tells you if the building exists, guess what? The builder exists. I don't have to see him. I don't have to know him. I don't have to even be able to have a hint that he is anywhere. All I need is the evidence that the building exists and it proves to me that the builder is real. Well, if I can't convince you in your common sense that nobody built this building but it just popped up, then how in the world can you look at the human body and the way everything works and how in the world can anyone explain to say, boom, it just appeared? Is that possible? No. If indeed there is creation, guess what? There is a creator. And one day I will stand and I will give an account for all of the things that I have done with this body that he has granted me with here in this time. How can I get myself in the church awake to a wartime mentality? I'll answer that question here in a minute. Think about this. I said many of us are asleep in this battle because we think we are in a time of peace. How many of you think when everything's going your way, you've got a good job, you're paying your bills, and things are, are going pretty smooth, your relationships are good, and everything seems to be coasting along? Maybe you even have just a few problems, but for the most part, we're in a time of peace, right? Uh-uh. Let me go over just a few things with you. This whole time that we think we're in a time of peace, all the while we're actually prisoners of war held captive by all the things that this world has to offer. How many of you know that TV can hold you captive? How many of you know that money can hold you captive? How many of you know that whatever you give your life to and whatever your greatest desire is, that is what has you in captivity. That's the reason the Bible calls us to be bond servants or slaves unto righteousness. He says you want to be captive to something, be captive to God. Let Him be the center of everything that we do. I wrote down here, not all of these things are necessarily bad in and of themselves. TV is not necessarily bad. <laughs> A lot of it is. <laughs> So, I, I, you know, I'm trying to think of what's not bad on it. But, um, but TV is not necessarily bad in and of itself. Um, work is not bad. The Bible commands us to work, to give to him who has need. 
Work is not necessarily bad. Money is not necessarily bad. Uh, sports are not necessarily bad. Hunting, fishing, all these things, they're not necessarily bad. The Bible says God gives us richly all things to enjoy. It's not bad, but the problem is this. Whenever we let these things consume us and these things become our greatest desire, when money is our greatest desire, when work and being someone significant is our greatest desire, whenever a TV is our greatest desire, that's what we want more than anything is just to lay on the couch and watch TV. Whenever hunting and fishing and sports are what we live for and that's what we put our desire and our heart into, guess what? They've just become idols. They've just become your God. And the problem is this. It is God who wants us to see Him as the most treasured thing in all of creation and for us to desire Him with everything that we have. And then if we will put God in the center and make Him our top priority, He will be in the center of our sports. And then sports are not bad. He will be in the center of our TV. And then TV revolves around Him and His purpose. He will be in the center of our money and then our money revolves around Him. He will be in the center of our hunting and our fishing and it will all be about Him. And then we have things turned back around the way that it is supposed to be and we're living the life that He would have us to live. God becomes our desire. Jesus said, whoever loves anything more than me is not worthy of me. We have to see God as our greatest treasure. I want you to think about it like this. Everyone who loves anything in this world more than God is in the dark and they're blind. Think about this. You have to be blind to choose gravel over diamonds. Right? Let's say I get these two offering plates and I pass them around. One of them is full of gravel. The other is full of diamonds. And you choose the gravel. What's wrong with you? You're blind. That is the only explanation for you choosing gravel over diamonds. You cannot see the true worth of what is in this diamond. You get it? If God will begin to open our eyes to the reality of His true worth, we will quit choosing all of this gravel. <laughs> Listen, I love fishing as much as the next guy. Boy, if I get in the creek wading fishing, I'd go every day. When I was a kid, we would get in fights about that because I wanted to go wading the creek fishing and the rest of my buddies wanted to play wiffle ball. We had wiffle ball tournaments. I wanted to be fishing. They wanted to be, and I was going to have my way. Y'all know how kids are. And we would get in fights about it because I love fishing. But let me tell you something. Fishing can't even compare to what God is got prepared for me. What God is worth to me in my life, fishing, hunting, sports, none of these things are important anymore. They're still fun. I still enjoy them. But God is my main priority. And He is the center of everything that I do. See, we're like Lot's wife. We want to be saved, but we love these things of the world too much and they take priority in our lives and they consume us and then God gets put to the back. We choose gravel and put diamonds to the side. We're idiots is what we are. Blind 
idiots. Look at Luke chapter 17, verse 31 through 33. Tim, I have it for you so you don't have to turn. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back to his work. But in verse 32, he says, Remember Lot's wife. Now let's keep going to verse 33. Whoever seeks to save his life will what? And whoever loses his life will actually preserve it or save it. Basically, we are just like Lot's wife. Lot's wife was in the process of running out of there to be saved. But somewhere along the way, she stopped and she began to think that the gravel is so important. And you know the only thing she did? She looked back and she did not make it. She was not saved. She perished. And Jesus gives us a warning. In that day, whoever is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, leave your goods in the house. Whoever is in the field and your work is so important to you, forget the work. You keep your eye focused on the coming day and you keep marching forward. You remember Lot's wife if you look back and you cannot turn loose of the things of the world to make God your most valuable treasure, we will not be saved. Whoever values mother, father, daughter, child, any possession more than Jesus is not worthy of me, is what Jesus said. Jesus said it like this. The kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure in the field, and for the joy of that treasure, he went and sold everything he owned just so he could buy that field and have that treasure. He saw the true worth, and his eyes were opened to the worth of Jesus Christ and following him. And because of that, he did not look back. He got rid of everything. Now, I'm not telling you to go sell everything you own this morning. I'm telling you make God your top priority and then everything else will revolve around that. Do you see that? Your work will revolve around it. Your sports, everything will revolve around it. And then you will endure to the end. Listen. In about two seconds, every single one of us is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Two seconds. One, two, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, why do I say to you that in two seconds we all stand and give an account for all the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad, our servanthood, all the things that we did fulfilling God's purpose while we were here? Why do I say two seconds? Look at James chapter 4. Tim, did I give you that one? James chapter 4 verse 14. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a what? A vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Can I get a witness from anybody on that? Your life is a vapor. Have you ever walked outside on a cold fall morning and breathed the breath of air? What do you see come out? A vapor. You see your breath in a vapor, but how long does it last? One, two, it's gone. Listen, I'm 30-something years old. Now, we didn't figure out how old I was in Sunday school this morning, but I'm 30-something, all right? My wife don't know. My sister might know. I don't know. I'm 30-something years old, all right? I done lived one second of my life. That's just the truth. 
I've got a second left to live and then I stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I stand and I give an account for all the things done in the body. Let me ask you a question. When you're standing after your two-second life is over in front of the judgment seat of Christ, how much concern do you think you're going to have for your work? How much concern do you think you're going to have for paying your next bill and, or having that 2013 Mercedes or Lexus or maybe you're just wishing for a grand dam? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. How much concern are you going to have for sports? How big is the home run going to be for your team? How much concern will you have for anything that has to do with pleasures here? So let me ask you a question. If God were to come down right now and he were to offer each and every one of you two seconds of the most greatest pleasure that could be offered in life, all the money you could have, all the goods, all the joy, the best relationship, the most beautiful spouse, the greatest of the great, God says, I offer you two seconds of the greatest pleasure that there is to experience here on this earth in exchange that you spend eternity apart from me. How many takers do I have on that? Two seconds now. Two seconds of the greatest pleasure you have to offer. No takers. You know why? Because what's two seconds compared to eternity? Do y'all Are y'all with me this morning? And yet for some reason we out here reaching for gravel when diamonds are within our grasp. Huh. In two seconds we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And then how much concern do all these great desires have for you then? You won't be concerned about your favorite TV show standing in the line of judgment. Old T-Roy on Swamp People, you don't care if his next gator that comes out of this thing is Leviathan. You don't care. It don't even matter anymore. Your TV shows don't matter. Your money don't matter. Becoming the best at your job don't matter. You or your kids being the next Kobe Bryant or the next Travis Pastrana, guess what? It don't matter. Because now, none of that matters anymore. It's gone. It was two seconds ago. Two seconds ago. And that's all that it lasts. Don't be consumed by this world. Let God consume you and make Him your heart's desire. Then enjoy the things of this world with Him being the center of it all. But this is the reality of the war that we're in. This is what we're fighting. We're fighting these fleshly eyes and the desires of it and we're fighting for what is real. But we just can't seem to see it and we can't seem to make it a reality there are many wiles like these that Satan is using to keep us from submitting to God. That's why in Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 18, Paul tells us, starting in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might because you cannot do this on your own. So he tells us to be strong and to put on, in verse 11, the whole armor of God. One or two pieces ain't going to get it for you. You have to put on, according to verse 14, truth. He says, gird your waist with it. Always be ready with truth. Satan is the father of lies, and he is called the great deceiver in the Bible. And we should study and learn the truth from God's Word and always be ready to fight him with it. I want you to think about this. And I didn't give Tim a scripture. You'll have to take my word for it. Matthew 24, verse 45 through 46, actually says that 
who is this faithful and wise steward who when Jesus comes, he, he gives him reward and thanks him for all that he done. He got it for me, thank you. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Look at verse 46. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so what? Doing. You know what Jesus is looking for when he comes back? He's looking for doers. He's looking for people that are still walking in faith. Al Cobb and Jelly, they do, or Austin, I'm sorry, they do good to walk the way they are right now. But let me tell you something. They have to still be walking whenever Christ comes back. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Not he who made a statement of faith and then went back to the world. He who endures to the end shall be saved and we must always be ready with truth. We need to remind ourselves whenever Satan comes to us and says, Ah, you're okay. You can live however you want to live. We need to remind ourselves that the truth of God's word says, He who endures to the end shall be saved. That's the truth. And that's what I believe. He tells us to put on righteousness in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14. He says another two, you put on righteousness. Satan's always trying to keep us walking in our own ways. But if we are going to be saved, we must be walking in God's ways and in his spirit and putting on the righteousness of Christ. We become more like him, less like us. And I'm going to move through these pretty quickly because I've already covered them. If you want to know more information on them, you can get my messages from Tim or Johnny can probably help you get, get whatever you need. Third one, be ready to move with the gospel of peace or have your sh feet shod with the gospel of peace. And I believe what that's talking about, feet are from moving from one place to the other. So when he says, have your feet prepared with the gospel of peace, I believe he means always be ready to move with the gospel of peace. Verse 4, I'm sorry, number 4, shield of faith. We need this shield of faith to operate in front of and inside of everything we do. Faith is fully, wholeheartedly putting your complete trust in God's sovereignty, in His Word, His direction, and His will. And you follow no matter what. Faith must operate inside of everything we do because without faith, even our good deeds and truth and righteousness are like filthy rags in the eyes of God. If it's not done fully trusting God to supply all our need. It must operate in front of everything we do because even when using truth, righteousness, and the gospel, even when those things don't remove the attack of Satan, faith will keep you from falling. You will still be able, just like Job, to be able to look at God and say, though he slay me, yet will I what? Huh? Serving? No, that's close. Trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In other words, faith, even when my children are gone, even when my house and my possessions and I'm sitting here with stage four cancer and I'm on my deathbed, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's faith. And the shield of faith will quench every fiery dart that Satan has. And then 17, and I'm going to skip on over to verse 18. Verse 18 says, Praying always. 
I'm going to end very quickly with this. Praying always. Our prayer is a weapon of warfare because without prayer, there is no power. I don't care about truth, righteousness, gospel, uh, the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, uh, sword of the Spirit. Without prayer, there is no power. I'll prove that to you. Look at John chapter 15 verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. So that means that we are connected to him, right? He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. Now what is one of the primary ways we stay connected to the general of our army? Prayer. If we are not connected to him, we can do nothing. We pray and we pray always in the Spirit of God. We pray because in Him we have all power, but out of Him we have no power. We can do nothing. No prayer, no power. John Piper said that prayer is our wartime walkie-talkie. It's not a servant's bell for you to ring for more pillows when you get uncomfortable. But for some reason that's the way we've learned to use prayer. We say, oh, I need to pray. Ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling. Um, could I get some more pillows? I'm a little uncomfortable down here, God. Could you get this going a little better for me, God? Could you bring me some bacon in the morning? I'm kind of tired of this. I'm loathing this sausage every morning. I'm ready for some bacon. Ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling. Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. It's not a servant's bell to ring for more comfort. Prayer is our source of power. Prayer is our communication line to where when we're under attack, we phone in the general and we say, I need support. I need backup to be able to stand for your purpose. I need to be able to continue standing in this walk because I'm getting attacked very hard. And prayer provides us with the power to be able to continue standing in this battle. It is our communication line to ask God for everything we need to win the war for the glory of God. I got two main points I want you to see this morning and I'm going to get out of here. Number one point about prayer. Without persistent prayer, we have no power to advance forward. Listen to me. Listen to me, especially new Christians or Christians that seem to be at a standstill. Without prayer, church, we have no power to advance any further than where we are. This is as far as we will ever be able to do unless we have, and, and listen, make sure you got my point right, I said without persistent prayer. Not just praying from time to time. Oh, I catch myself. How many of you catch yourself in periods of prayerlessness? Y'all don't want to admit that. I do. I do. I ain't holier than thou. I mess up from time to time. I'm just being straight with you. I find myself in periods of prayerlessness. I look up one day and I go, Lord, I ain't even talked to you in a week. A week I ain't even talked to you and I wonder why I have no power to walk the walk that I need to walk. Why can't I fight in this war? Look at Mark chapter 9 verse 29. Mark chapter 9 verse 29. So he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but what? 
prayer. And we'll, we, I've already been over the fasting, so I'm not going there this morning. Y'all know the story of this. Here a father brings his demon-possessed son to Jesus and says, Your disciples couldn't cast it out. Please help us. He's often thrown into the fire and has seizures and chokes on his saliva and I just can't take this anymore. We need your help. And the disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, why couldn't we cast it out? Do you think it's because they hadn't prayed? Do you think that they didn't get over the boy and say, Lord, in Jesus' name, we ask you to remove this demon. But all of a sudden, they step back, and even though they prayed, it, it didn't come out. Think about it like this. Jesus removed the thing, and he didn't even pray. He looked at it, and he said, You deaf and dumb spirit, come out of that boy, and don't come to him ever again. He didn't say, Father, I ask you in Jesus' name that you remove this spirit and you take care of this. Jesus looked at it and said, Hey, get out of there. But he says to his disciples, the reason you couldn't do it is because you've come to a time of prayerlessness in your life. You're not living in prayer. Jesus said, the reason I step on the scene and the dude leaves, you know why? I live in prayer. I live in prayer. Without persistent prayer, you have no power to advance forward on the enemy. You have no power for offense. The only thing you can do is just stand where you are and watch everything else take place around you with no power. In the book of Acts chapter 19, and I don't have this one, Tim, somewhere in the book of Acts chapter 19, the Bible tells us about some Jewish exorcists that came to exorcise a demon, if you will. They came and they were going to remove a demon from this person. And they walk in and they say, In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom Paul preaches, we exercise you. And you know what the demon's response to them was? They said, hmm, Yeah, J Jesus, we've heard of him. Jesus we know. And Paul we know. But who are you? And the Bible says that at that moment, the man leaped on them and the Jewish exorcist ran out of that place with their clothes torn off of them because this thing had attacked them and overpowered them. You know why? No prayer. Jesus, I know. You know why? He lives in prayer. Paul, I know. You know why? He lives in persistent prayer. And he has power to advance forward. I believe the disciples were caught in a prayerless time of their life, but Jesus had prayed. He lived in prayer. He was ready when evil came, but the disciples had become weak and negligent in their praying, and they were powerless in the face of strong evil forces. And Jesus said, this kind can come out by nothing but a prayer life, not just a simple prayer, a life of prayer. My number two point, my last point, Without prayer, without persistent prayer, we have no power for defense. Now here I've been at, I'm talking about offense and advancing forward, right? Now I'm just talking about protecting yourself. Now I'm just talking about just standing, just keeping from falling down, keeping from getting hit with a fiery dart. Without prayer, we have no power for defense. Look at Mark chapter 14, verse 38, Tim. Then the evil man, I'm sorry, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now break that down with me for just a minute. Watch and what? Lest you enter into 
temptation. In other words, what is the remedy to keep from falling to the attacks of Satan? Watch and pray. Be sober, have your eyes open, always be on the lookout for his wiles and his attacks. Watch and live in prayer. And then when temptation comes, then you will succeed and overcome. But without prayer or persistent prayer, we have no power for defense and we will fall to the temptations that will lead us back to the old ways and contrary to God's will for our life. You wonder why you can't seem to get right? I used to say there's a movie, I don't remember what the name of it was now, it was a funny movie, but there was a guy on there that's called Can't Get Right. That's what they called him. Can't Get Right. You ever feel like can't get right? Sometimes you just can't get right. Well, you know why? Maybe you're not living in prayer. Maybe you have not experienced prayer yet. Prayer opens our heart. And this is another point you can write down if you want to. These are just extras. They're not what you have to have this morning. Prayer opens our heart to the astounding worth of God. Prayer is actually what can teach you to value God above every other thing. Let me prove it to you. Look at the prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 16 through 19. Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in what? My prayers, and here's what he prays for in verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of him. Look at verse 18. That the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And look at verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Do you see that? Paul said, I pray because without prayer you can't see the true worth of God. If you want the rest of this stuff, you'll have to come to me afterward and give it to you. In closing, prayer is the source of communication for power to advance on the devil and defend ourselves from him. Let me say that again. Prayer is the source of communication for power to advance on the devil and to defend ourselves from him. It is our wartime walkie-talkie. It is not our servant's bell for more pillows. All right? We need to turn this prayer around and we need to make it our line of communication to the general to receive all the things that we need. What kind of prayer life do you have right now? Are you living in prayer? Or is prayer just a thing that you're in a prayerless time of your life right now? Do you use prayer as a servant bell to bring you more pillows? Or do you use prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie to request support and power to fight the battle? What shapes your prayers? How do you know how to pray? How do you structure your prayers? What do you want God to do so much that it is in your prayers every day? Have you ever just digged in the Bible for God's purpose and tried to grab a hold of something and say, God, this is something I can run for in your will and in your purpose? What is it that you want so bad that you pray for it Every day, nonstop, you pray and you pray and you pray. Why don't you shape that kind of prayer life around a desire for God to be the center of your life and to be the center of everything that you do? 
Is it prayer of more comfort in this life that you pray for every day? Or do you have prayers to see His worth, to value Him above all else? Do you pray to know and experience His power? Do you pray to send out more workers for His kingdom? Do you pray to have love for others and a passion for righteousness? All these things that we don't have. Today my prayer for you is that God stirs you up to pray. To pray for your family. To pray for your church. To pray for your life and that, that, that everything in it would count for something great in His kingdom instead of this two-second life that's fixing to be over. Are y'all hearing me this morning? Pray that your life would count for something great for the purpose of Christ. I hope you think about prayer. I hope you read about prayer. I hope you pray about prayer. And I hope that you will plan to pray. I gave you a list, and I'm going to close with the invitation this morning. I hope all of you got it. It's a very simple little list that says tips for, uh, let me see it right here, tips for developing a persistent prayer life. And there are four basic tips here that can help you begin to develop this prayer life. And what I want you to do is take this, because this was my tonight's message, but since the chorale is going to be here, I'm not going to be able to do it, so I typed it out for you. You take it home. Study these messages. Remember the last part. No prayer, no power. Everybody say that. No prayer, no power. It's not going to happen. You will never be able to advance and you will not be able to defend yourself without prayer. So Paul tells us the last weapon, pray always. Live in prayer. If y'all would, stand this morning, surely. Everybody else is going to help with that. Come on. I want to ask you this morning. Is God your little servant that you ring the bell for? Do you need to change that? Do you have a life of prayer? Are you living for the pleasures of this two-second life in exchange for your eternal soul? Listen, what does it profit a man if he gain what? The whole world and all the pleasures it has to offer, but yet he loses his own soul. What do you gain? Zero. I pray this morning that you're living for His purpose. And if you're not, that this morning will be the morning that you make the change to say, God, I want you to be the center of my life. God, I want to experience your power and your greatness. God, I want to see you as the diamond that you are. And I pray that you don't leave here this morning until that takes place in you.